Sports. Scary Parish, it's Friday, November 6, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and today we are concluding our series of previews of the top seven conferences in college basketball. We've already done the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the Big East. So there's only one left, and that one is obviously the American Athletic Conference. The AAC, it's been a top seven league, according to Kimpom, for five straight seasons now. Houston has won at least a share of the AAC title in each of the past two seasons, and Kelvin Sampson's Cougars, they are projected to do it again this season. We had a panel. Uh, five voters at CBSSports.com, and all of us picked Houston first. I have Houston 15th in the top 25 and one, seven spots ahead of Memphis. Kimpom has Houston 22nd, 17 spots ahead of Memphis. So, Norlanda, let's start with Houston. The Cougars went 23-8 and eight overall, 13-5 and five in the AAC last season. They finished 14th at Kimpom. Do you think they'll be better or worse or about the same as they were last season? About the same, and this is a really good team. It uh, doesn't quite get, frankly, because of it, I think because it wasn't relevant for a long time. It's It, it plays in the American, which is uh, you know one of the seven best conferences and reliably is putting three, four teams into the tournament, but it's just not as prominent. The, the American doesn't tend to have games in TV slots that are as uh, just front and center. And so because of all of that, I think Houston just sometimes will get lost in the middle here and there. But it is a very good team. I have I have Houston firmly as a top twenty team. I got him sixteen in my overall rankings. There, I do. I love Caleb Mills. I love Quentin Grimes. Marcus Sasser is a name that really only probably Houston fans. If you're a diehard American uh, fan, you're going to know that name. But they are so reliable defensively, and I know that sometimes that aspect of a team. Um, isn't a huge selling point or a talking point, but I'm just telling you, Houston's going to be a top 25 team this year because I do think from a, and this is also, I get this from from coaches in the league, from a, a pure scouting and an ex- execution standpoint, they're just super reliable. Like they are just, they are going to win so many games because you are not going to be able to outlast them for 40 minutes defensively. So I'll leave it to you if you want to talk about any of the stars specifically, but Kelvin Sampson's coaching acumen, it's, I mean, it's it's just established at this point. We We do agree. The best team clearly in the American and a top 20 team in America. I think so. Um, obviously, based on where I live, I get some pushback when I say that. But I do think there's no sensible reason to to vote anybody first in the AAC, at least preseason, other than the Houston Cougars. And, man, there was a chance I would have had them as a preseason top five team. You know, they finished 14th at Kempom last season, and they were set to return their top six scores from that team. And then Nate Hinton entered the NBA draft, even though I, I certainly not a first-round pick. I'm not sure he'll be selected at all. And then Fabian White tore his ACL in the offseason. If not for that, I definitely would have Houston in the top 10, maybe even in the top five. They do return. You could probably do the math on this based on what I just said. Four of their top six scores, uh, most notably Caleb Mills and Quentin Grimes. And Mills is a terrific story. I mean, the truth is for – Nationally ranked college basketball teams, if you're going to be a freshman that is impactful, you're almost certainly going to have to be a, a, you know, a, a five-star guy, a four-star guy, a top 100 or 125 guy. Caleb Mills was ranked 199th in the class of 2019 by 24-7 Sports. 
and yet he comes into Houston as a freshman last season, averages 13.2 points per game. That's a team high. His backcourt mate, Quentin Grimes, is a former McDonald's All-American, started his career at Kansas, transferred to Houston. He averaged 12.1 points, 3.7 rebounds, 2.6 assists. You bring back those two guys for the top six, and you still got Kelvin Sampson on the sideline. That is your favorite to win the American. Doesn't mean they'll definitely do it, obviously, Mm -hmm. but on paper, that's the favorite to win the league. Uh, I won't say that Caleb Mills is one of the most underrated players in the country because I, I that I, to me that starts to, that's just a lazy term. Um, and the fact of the matter is he's our preseason player of the year in the conference. He's going to be on our you know in the top thirty list of the best players in the country when we release that next week. Uh, he's not the most underrated player, but I do think for how good he is going to be and how many people are actually aware of him, there's a big divide there that I think he should be able to, to close specifically if Houston remains relevant and get some big wins in non-conference play. Sort of an interesting thing on him. How often, I'm just sort of thinking about this as we talk, how often is somebody who wasn't his conference's freshman of the year the preseason player of the year in the league as a sophomore. Like, that's got to be a very rare thing. And yet that's where we are with Caleb Mills because Precious Achua was the AAC freshman of the year last season. He enters the NBA draft. That sets up Caleb Mills to be the preseason player of the year, even though he wasn't the freshman of the year. Yeah, I love when we discover these little just like what-ifs and uh, maybe unanswerable questions. Again, though, you listeners are fantastic. If anyone, I'm genuinely curious. If someone knows of a specific situation where that happened, not the freshman of the year, you come back and you're the preseason player of the year. I'd be curious to see if that's happened in recent history. Number two in the league is Memphis. And we talked about the Big East on, on Thursday. And we agreed that there's a huge gap between two and three. I don't think that there's a big gap between two and three, or at least as big of a gap between two and three in the American. Um, but it is close because Memphis is definitely... It's closer to to Houston at one. We've got SMU at three. So the difference between those, uh, you know, is interesting. Musa Cisse is our freshman of the year in the conference. There can be no other pick, I don't think. And what's interesting is that if you're a Memphis fan and you want to have some real optimism, consider that you went 21-10 and 10 last year with plenty of talent, but, a, 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 you know, an up-and-down dramatic season. But Penny Hardaway kind of guides you through it, right? I've got the Tigers 29th. Uh, you bring in Landers Nolly out of Virginia Tech, who averaged 15 and, and change last season for the Hokies. Him, Lester Quinones, GJ, DJ Jeffries, who is the best player on the team as far as I'm concerned. Boogie Ellis, can he get that next level? I'm, Memphis is just, again, they're just dripping with potential. Uh, how the pieces all come together will be intriguing. I'm not convinced. Like, Cissé is a good talent, uh, but if you told me that Nolly, Jeffries, Quinones and Ellis were all more important players. I, I definitely believe it. And that alone, if you tell me that happens, that's where I think Memphis can really be nipping at Houston's heels. I think those four players will all be more important offensive players. I, I genuinely believe that Musa Cisse can be one of the best rim protectors, if not the best rim protector in college basketball as a freshman. He is uniquely gifted on that end of the court. I don't think he's somebody who's going to um, have stats like Precious Achua had or like James Wiseman would have had, but he is a five-star consensus top 15 prospect who reclassified to 2020, projected one and done, who is going to make a Memphis team that was already great defensively. Like I think, you know, 
there was so much conversation about Memphis last season because they enrolled the number one class in America. Then James Wiseman got suspended. Then James Wiseman quit the team. Then you know DJ Jeffries got hurt last week of January. So now Memphis was down two of its top three players off its opening night roster, and things got really difficult. But that team always guarded. They finished fifth in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, and now they add a guy who – you know, set block records in the state of Tennessee in high school and has a chance based on what I've been told to be one of the best, if not the best rim protectors in college basketball. There's a chance Memphis once again is one of the very best defensive teams in the country. And that's a great place to start. The other key thing with them, I think is just going to be it's, it's awesome to rely on freshmen when they are like James Wiseman and like Precious Achua or like Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. Memphis found itself last season relying on a lot, heavily relying on a lot of freshmen who probably shouldn't be relied on that heavily as freshmen. Boogie Ellis, Lester Quinones, even D.J. Jeffries to a certain extent, although D.J. was very good. Now those guys are sophomores. You bring in more experience with Landers Nolly. You've got junior Alex Lomax on the bench, sophomore Damian Baugh on the bench, uh, sophomore Malcolm Dandridge on the bench, uh, Juco player Ahmad Rand, Lance Thomas. Um, They've got the pieces to, I do think, challenge Houston at the top of the league. And if they do that, they will be back in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014. Uh, You might remember the number off your head. I don't, uh, because I'm sure you brought it up uh, definitely in the preseason, maybe in in the early season. Last season, just and we'll move on from Memphis after this, but I did want to address this real quick. Memphis finished last season 59th uh, at Kempom and adjusted efficiency margin there. They start this season at Kempom at 39, which is higher. I remember there being like a, whoa, this team is really low, but I want to. So I'm I'm guessing Memphis was in the 60s or 70s preseason a season ago. Do you remember where they were? 51st, I believe. Was it okay? So okay, so there was just they were outside. Okay, so how about that? Even lower now. No Wiseman, so that's that's a major thing. Um, Memphis. Well, no. Well, no. They're higher this season. They're I know, but I'm saying like they started 51, and there was like this isn't a top 50 team according to Ken Palm, really. And then oh, they ended sure, 59. But I, I guess yeah, but I guess I would argue that is. Um, their best player quit. I know, I know, games. I know. I'm just, I know, I'm saying, I know. And, I, I and, yeah. and remember, they lost DJ Jeffries in January. Um, they, they got as high as 27th at Ken Palm at one place, but then, you know, they lose Jeffries for the year. Wiseman only played three games. Uh, I made this point last season. We don't have to go through it again, but go find me a college basketball team that lost two of its top three scores before February 1st and stayed good. Like I, right. I, I tweeted that, put it on Facebook, talked about it on radio, on the podcast. Nobody could ever come up with a great example. Um, they, you, you take two of the top three off basically any team in the country, you got big problems. When you took two of the top three off Memphis's roster last season, they had big problems. All right, three, four, five. SMU, Cincinnati, Tulsa for our collective voting at CBSSports.com. SMU, Tim Jankovic. Uh, if it really goes sideways, maybe it's a true like switching of the guard there at the head coach spot. But I, I don't know. I can't say that for sure. Tyson Jolly's a name to know. Uh, I do also have the Ponies third in my overall rankings, but they're in the low 40s. Um, so maybe. Uh, Cincinnati and Tulsa. Tulsa has been better, I think, on the whole than people really realize under under Frank Haith. I mean, 
this team they want to share they want to share the league last season that's right they finished atop the standings with Houston and Cincinnati when 13 and 5 weren't projected to make the tournament but were still outperforming preseason expectations so I don't think they're going to be that good this season um top five I don't I don't have them uh, you know I'm not gonna I, I put them there under the under the curiosity in our preseason poll that Marshall might not be coaching at Wichita State, which we'll get to in just a second. So, but if he is there, then I would put, I think I put Wichita State ahead of, of Tulsa. So, real quick note on Cincinnati. To me, this could be the rare, like, true step back season for the Bearcats. Now, if they finish fourth, it's not really that. And maybe John Brandon, who's a fine coach and I think would have just squeaked the Bearcats into the field last season in a normal, if it had played out, yada, yada. Um, He's done a good job, but they they lose a lot here. I I think fourth in our poll might be a bit of a reputation inclusion. Keith Williams, gotta love him. He is he is going to be in contention for uh, American AAC first teamer status uh, for sure. But losing Jaron Cumberland, uh, even though he and Brandon had some ups and downs, I, that, that's a big big loss there. And again, this is year two. I mentioned on the previous Big East podcast about Mike Anderson and St. John's. Like, okay, let's see what happens in the year two process. Kind of wonder the same thing here with Cincinnati, which is obviously a much better program than St. John's, what they can do there. Parrish, I'll throw it back to you, but just Parrish at SMU, then Cincinnati, and then you do have Wichita State uh, 5. We do agree, though, SMU 3, Cincy 4, uh, and then I've got Tulsa in the 5 spot, and my prediction's on the site. I think the big question for this league is, is it just going to be a two-bit league? which is very possible based mm. on preseason projections. You know, the AAC has gotten at least three bids in four straight NCAA tournaments, would have had three last season. Based on where everything was when the season was stopped, Houston, Wichita State, and Cincinnati were all projected to make the NCAA tournament. On paper right now, um, you you certainly pencil in Houston. I think you pencil in Memphis. I don't know that you pencil in anybody else. You don't pencil in anybody else. Uh we must include that UConn is no longer in the league. That is quite obviously a ding. Um, since the conference came to be in the 2013-14 season, it ranked 7th, 9th, 7th, 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 6th, and then 7th last year in Ken Palm's conference standings there. But to be clear, with the exception of that year when it lost Louisville, Rutgers, uh, uh, lost Louisville and Rutgers and then brought on East Carolina, Tulane, and Tulsa, um, it dropped to 9 there. Every other season, the, the difference between 7 and 8 is sizable, and that's why we kind of have focused on seven conferences because uh, I define the Mountain West, the A-10, and the WCC as the other multi-bid conferences, but just historically, they're not performing as well as the American there. But this could be a year where that gets a little bit cloudy. You lose UConn. There's no sure thing for any other teams outside of Houston and Memphis to be top 40 style. Now, they could easily break in. I mean, you could have a situation where that does happen. We need to acknowledge that's a possibility. But we don't know for sure. And by losing UConn, you just, you know, you lose a team that I know has been, I know it was not nearly as good. I know it won a title, but it wasn't as good on the whole in the American as UConn fans and fans in this conference were hoping for. But I don't know. We'll see. Can we uh, can we touch on Wichita State here? Because as we as we publish this podcast on Friday morning, Greg Marshall's situation hasn't been resolved at Wichita State. We don't know if he's going to be suspended. We we don't know if he's going to be fired. If he's fired, to me, the projection on Wichita State is significantly different. I mean, I've got Wichita State in the mid-80s on my rankings, and if you tell me Marshall's not coaching there, I would have had him below number 100. But if he's there, I think the potential is still they could be dangerous and, and break into that top five. What's your what's your gauge on the Shockers? What's your feel on the situation? 
if I'm being honest, I'm surprised that he is still the coach at Wichita State today. Um, you know, the allegations, we've been through them. They're obviously very serious. Nobody questions Greg Marshall as a basketball coach. He is a brilliant, gifted, highly successful basketball coach. Um, but the allegations are serious, that he physically assaulted a player, that he physically assaulted an assistant coach. Um, the verbal stuff, listen, it's n- not good. I think he'd survive this no problem with just the verbal stuff. Um, the physical stuff is where a line is cl- allegedly clearly crossed. And though Greg did not initially deny ever putting his hands on a player or an assistant coach, he did subsequently deny putting his hands on a player and assistant coach. So he has drawn a line in the sand and basically said what I am accused of by a player on the record and backed up by multiple other players as sources simply did not happen. They are lying. And Wichita state is far as I know, continuing to conduct an, you know, an investigation. And I just, I guess this is where I struggle with it. This is why I would have never completely denied it. If I were Greg Marshall, because you are then putting yourself in a position where you're having to say eight, whatever the number is at this point, seven, eight, nine different people, they're all lying. All these people are making something up. That's, that's a hard one to win. I wonder if, if he wouldn't have been better off sitting down with his athletic director, with his president, with whomever you've got to sit down with and say, listen, this is being described as a punch. You know, I, I've thrown punches in my life when I was a kid. This wasn't a punch. I, I saw a player take a cheap shot at another player. And did I lose it for a second? Yeah, I lost it for a second. And did I touch him with my arms? Yes, I touched him with my arms. Do I regret it? Of course I do. But the idea that I punched somebody just is not true. I didn't punch. I shoved, maybe. And I have regretted it every day since then. Um, It's kept me up at night. Um, I've tried to be better since then. I tried to learn from it. And if you give me the opportunity to continue leading this program, I will never embarrass you again or put you in a position where we have to have these conversations again. But don't rule out that you've ever physically put your hands on somebody. Because now, if you're Wichita State and you've got multiple people telling you that he did it, I don't know how you keep him if he's saying didn't happen and it's his word against again seven people eight people nine different people it's just it's a, it's a hard sell although it should be noted that earlier this week dozens of prominent Wichita state supporters took out an ad in the Wichita newspaper publicly supporting Greg Marshall now former players haven't done that yet and the most prominent Wichita state boosters name was not attached to this but that that certainly helps him. I, I mean, I guess, let me ask you, mm-hmm. what's your prediction? Opening day. Is Greg Marshall coaching Wichita State? No. No, uh, well, no, he's not coaching the first game. I don't see how he possibly dis- avoids a, a, a serious suspension. Okay, so I agree with you uh, that, that he will not coach the first game because the best case scenario, I think, is he will be suspended. Yeah, I agree. In terms of, I mean, we've we, you asked me this question before, and my prediction that was that he was going to be fired. It just we thought it would happen by now. It hasn't happened. So the more days that go on without resolution, the better it looks for Greg Marshall in keeping his job there. We are less than three weeks to the start of the season, and 
I mean, clarity as soon as possible. Because just as another note here, like recruiting matters a ton. And every single day that this goes on, like it doesn't help Wichita State next season or the season after that when it comes to trying to recruit these players. So it's just an obvious, you know, it's the biggest storyline. Houston's the best team. Memphis is loaded and intriguing. But the the employment status of Marshall is the biggest storyline as we head into the season with this conference. And and I've had other coaches bring this up to me. I'm I'm certain you have as well. If you've had conversations with other coaches about these allegations, Um, it's one. Okay, so Wichita State's got to decide. Do do we do we continue to employ this person or not but then the other question is if we continue to employ this person how effective can he do his job you know like our we greg marshall before these allegations is thought of around the country as something different than greg marshall with these allegations and though i do not believe no player in the country will ever sign with wichita state again as long as greg marshall's there because somebody's it'll be the best offer they have and um, it's a free education to play um, for an awesome basketball program with an incredible fan base. So, yes, he'll get players, but is he going to be able to go beat other comparable schools for players? Like, if you've got comparable options to Wichita State, are you going to go play for the coach who has been accused of doing what Greg Marshall did? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But I've had other coaches say recruiting is going to be more difficult than it's ever been because if you're recruiting against Wichita State and Greg Marshall's still the coach, well, you've got some pretty interesting stories that you can text or email to parents and players and anybody else you need to text or email. Yeah, and once we get news on Marshall, we'll, we're going to address this again because that will be a podcast episode once that comes in, um, be it <laughs> any hour or next week, whenever it lands. Um, quick tour of the rest of the league uh, to wrap up here. Uh, just a few thoughts. UCF would be better, but it lost its probably its best player, Colin Smith, who's sitting out the season due to COVID concerns. So that's a ding to the Knights. Uh, otherwise, they would be in the middle there, I think, near Tulsa, but that's not going to happen. South Florida is the team for me, the mystery. How do you pin them down? They've got Alexis Yetna, who has returned. And really, if he like if he's returning from injury and he is all there, like potentially a top five player in the American, if it's all there. So they are the sleeper team I would identify because we've got them bottom half. Parrish picked them seventh. I picked them eighth. And I do think that is the true sleeper. And I would define that as like they could finish fourth and it wouldn't surprise me there. We both have Temple at nine. Temple now has to step in in the next two, three, four seasons and bring this league up. It's averaged 18 wins since the conference started. Fran Dunphy brought them to two tournaments. They never got uh, out of uh, the first round with it, though. They they were a 10 seed and 11 seed, and Temple is a team. I mean, I'm I'm going to publish the greatest programs in the history of college basketball T minus two weeks uh, since the advent of the tournament in 1939, and Temple is on that list. Temple might be on that list higher than people might suspect they'd be on that list. This is a program with a lot of history. It's one of the best to never make a Final Four, but it's 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 getting to be that time. Like you need Temple to be relevant in the Philadelphia area, that market, Philadelphia can really bring more of a presence for this league, but we've got them nine. And then at the bottom, East Carolina and Tulane. Uh, Tulane, as GP calls it. Uh, last year, Ron Hunter promised he would walk on water before Tulane finished last in the league. Well, Tulane finished last in the league, <laughs> so I'm going to need some video of, uh, of Ron Tulane going straight uh, JC on us at some point pretty soon here. East Carolina's n- not much to say other than that's got Jaden Gardner, and he is a freaking stat beast. I wonder if they'll be good enough to vault him into uh, first-team all-league status. He's really, really good. Like a 
a bad team with a straight-up stud. Like, Jaden Gardner is good enough where if he was on Memphis, he would start. And he is fantastic for them, but they're just not relevant. So that's kind of the bottom half of the league there. Yeah, Jaden Gardner averaged 19.7 points, 9.2 rebounds last season. He is, uh, statistically at least, probably the most productive player in the American Athletic Conference. You mentioned at USF, Alexis uh, Yetna, we talked about AAC Freshman of the Year two, you know, earlier. Two seasons ago, it was Alexis Yetna. Um, then, of course, he's got the knee injury last uh, preseason, gone for the year, but he is back in everything I heard. Uh, they suspect that he'll be back in and producing at the same level, if not better, uh, that he was uh, two seasons ago. At UCF, just a killer. Now, I don't know how good they were going to be anyway, but like Colin Smith opting out of the season. We saw that a lot in football. We haven't seen it a lot in basketball, but Colin Smith, who led them in scoring last season, 12.6.6.3 rebounds per game. He is opting out because of an underlying medical condition. They did enroll somebody you and I watched at Peach Jam a couple of years ago who was great and then went to Oregon and didn't really mm-hmm. have a great season. C.J. Walker, who is a consensus, you know, five-star prospect. He is from Orlando, has transferred back to UCF. And I guess I just hadn't even thought about this, but I went and looked it up last night. He's not got his waiver yet. Now, I don't know why okay. he wouldn't have a waiver moving back home to be close to home during a pandemic. Like that is Johnny Juzang got a waiver in, in a, like four minutes because it was like I'm moving back close to home. It was literally the opposite. I'm moving. Johnny Juzang said, I'm from California. I'm moving from Kentucky all the way back across the country home to be near my family during a pandemic. They said, a waiver granted. Well, here's CJ Walker was in Oregon all the way on the other side of the country. I'm moving back home to Orlando, Florida to be close to the family during a pandemic. And he is still, as far as I know, um, waiting for a waiver. And so I'm assuming he'll get it. But everything I Googled last night, um, he had not gotten it. Uh, he had not gotten it yet. And yeah, um, you know, the Ron Hunter stuff, like I, I Amazing. he's entertaining as hell. Really, really good coach, about, but you can't be, you can't be going JC on us. And then, and then you finish last. It just can't happen, man. Like it can't. And now projected, projected to finish last again. So we'll see if, um, we'll see if he can out, outdo the projections water into um, wine i mean water into wine that's that's the next that's the next goal here so well that is what it's going to take because they are preseason 202nd at ken palm significantly lower like nearly yeah. 50 spots lower than anybody else in the league so it is going to take something close to a miracle but i'd never i'd never rule anything out i don't guess shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you guys once again for listening to Island College Basketball Podcast. Right smack dab in the middle of the worst pandemic I've ever been a part of. I I, I never thought I'd live like this, Norlander, but um, yeah. here we are. If you're not subscribed to the Island College Basketball Podcast, please go do that anywhere you subscribe to the podcast, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Norlander would too. And we will talk to you again very soon specifically on Saturday when we publish our latest NBA draft profile. That will be on former Michigan State point guard Cassius Winston. So make sure to check that out. Talk to you then. Until then, take care.